This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health discussing conception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We're having a very, very important episode today discussing substance use and early motherhood. Annika Omelia is on with us to share her story, shed light on what many mothers experience, talk about the stigma that comes with struggling with substances while being a mother, how early motherhood is a prime time for increased substance use or return to substance use, and highlighting the ways in which we can do more to help. Annika is sharing her story of recovery from alcohol use. I really hope as you listen that you're able to hear the underlying reality that moms who are using substances are suffering and in pain. They're using to cope. Also, listen with compassion, as that is really what these moms need. Annika shares her story with us with the hope of helping other moms find their way to recovery. Annika Amelia is a licensed independent social worker and runs her own private psychotherapy practice, Quad City Women's Therapy, PLLC. She specializes in reproductive and maternal mental health. Annika is particularly interested in the impact of trauma and addiction on pregnancy and motherhood and uses EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, to assist clients with trauma recovery. Annika is a mother of four, including twins who just turned one, and has been living in recovery from alcoholism for over six years. Annika is also a survivor of rape and sexual assault and has benefited greatly from therapeutic and recovery programs in her own personal healing and return to wholeness. Annika hosts a podcast called Mother Recovering that focuses on what it's like to mom sober. Let's meet Annika. Welcome, Annika. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to talk to you today. I'm really happy to have you on and um, to talk about the work that you do. I think it's super, super duper important. And I'm so happy that you're doing the work that you're doing and coming on here to share about it. So please start and uh, by telling us your story in whatever way you feel comfortable, and then we'll learn about the work that you do. All right. Well, uh, my name's Annika, and I live in the Midwest, and I have four kids. I have a six-year-old a four-year-old and twins, um, boy-girl twins who just turned a year old actually last week. So, mm -hmm. and as I was saying, we're all getting over colds. So that was a yeah. brand new <laughs> parenting challenge, um, taking yeah. care of twins and everyone being sick. But um, yeah, so I, I'm, I have four kids, I'm a mom, um, and I'm also identify as being someone in recovery from um, a dependence on alcohol. So I've listened to the Mom and Mind podcast for a long time professionally and was just so inspired by the stories that were being shared about postpartum depression and anxiety. And that's definitely part of my story. Um, but in addition to that is um, that I had struggled before ever getting pregnant with a dependence on alcohol and that it showed up in my role as a mother. And mm -hmm. 
I think that we still have a long way to go in talking about postpartum depression and and helping women to be comfortable um, owning their experience and sharing and getting support. And I think we probably even have further to go in the area of alcohol and drug abuse. For moms, it can be really scary to disclose that they're struggling with those things and a little um, more challenging maybe to get help or to be identified by medical professionals as needing some support in that way. So I became a mom in the spring of 2011, and I had my daughter, um, and she was a planned pregnancy. My husband and I had been married, I think, for seven or eight years, maybe seven years at the time we got pregnant with her. And I so looked forward to being a mom and bringing home my baby and had a pretty easy pregnancy. Her birth was challenging. There, I just had so many expectations, I think, of what it would be like. And I did hypnobirthing and really wanted a natural delivery. And mm-hmm. um, that didn't end up happening for me. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my first introduction into like, oh, everything is not going to go exactly how you want it to right. in being a mother. Um, right. And brought her home from the hospital. And I just remember in those first weeks feeling just overwhelming joy and um so in love with her and, but overwhelmed, I think, with my role as a mom. Um, yeah. And my story includes a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So after she was born, I became preoccupied with the thought that something was wrong with her, um, mm-hmm. that if she went to sleep, she wouldn't wake up, mm-hmm. you know, that she would basically pass away in her sleep or she'd be having a problem and I wouldn't be able to respond to her. Um, you know, and that would be even if I had the monitor like right next to my head and she was in the same room with me, I would think something bad is going to happen. Um, and it also looked like being worried about my own health and feeling like something really bad was going to happen to me that Mm -hmm. I was going to die and not watch her grow up. And, um, you know, I'd have these, this anxiety would play out like imagining her, going to my funeral with my husband and like, how Mm. would he dress her? And, Mm. you know, just kind of some out of control anxiety. And um, yeah. And so I, I feel like having her, the experience was kind of like floating out into space and that little Mm. rope that you get to hold on to, to keep you attached to the mothership. Right. I was like reaching for it, but I couldn't grab it. It just, I, I loved her so much that it was overwhelming. Yeah. And in my history, um, before becoming a mother, I had always had a tendency with my anxiety to use alcohol to self-medicate, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going back in time, um, I you know, grew up in a family where people worked really hard and then they relaxed with drinks. And I had a very lovely upbringing. I was, you know, I played sports. I got really good grades. I gave like the speech at graduation in high school, you know, went on to a really good college um, and was an achiever. Like I was always high achieving and worried a lot and was very conscientious. And in high school, I started um, drinking, like binge drinking on the weekends. And um, I had two older brothers who went to college and alcohol was kind of a part of their experience and fun. Mm-hmm. And I went off to college kind of like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to accomplish whatever I want. I'm going to drink however I want. Just like um, I saw my brothers go off to school and do. Um, and it just wasn't the same for me, I don't think, as a uh, as a young woman to be heavily binge drinking like all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a common experience for lots of um, college age people. Um, but I... I drank a lot. And by the time I graduated from college, I would say I already had a problematic relationship with alcohol. Uh And as my friends kind of grew up and stopped some of that binging behavior and regular drinking, I just kept kind of right on the same trajectory. And so in my early 20s, I tried very hard to moderate my drinking like um, I'm only going to drink beer. I'm only going to drink wine. I'm only going to drink on these days. I'm going to drink mm. only if I'm in a good mood. Um, and it just, it never worked for me. And I got to a place by the time I was 27 or no, 25, where um, I needed some outside support to stop drinking. 
And I did for two years, I did not drink at all. So I was sober from about 25 to 27. Um, and my life got really, really good. And I felt happy and pretty fulfilled. And um, around the age of 27, I thought, well, you know, I was younger when I was having those problems. And maybe it was really just anxiety or depression. And now that I'm older, I could probably just handle life better. And maybe I'm not really an alcoholic or I don't really have a drinking problem. Um, and so I really conscientiously like planned out a return to drinking um, at the age of about 27, including mm-hmm. calling a guy in New York who wrote this book about how to moderate your drinking to like, I paid him like 200 bucks to talk to him on the phone and say, you know, this is my life story. These have been my problems with drinking. I feel like I could handle it now. Mm-hmm. I think that I can drink responsibly like a normal person. What do you think? And he didn't know me. He was like, sure. I mean, right. you can try it. So I kind of took that as, okay, I'm going to return to drinking. I let my friends know, my family know, my husband. And I did. I drank again from about 27 to age 29. Um, and it it never got quite as out of control externally as when I was younger. Um, but internally, it was just a struggle because I was trying to moderate, which is torture when you yeah. always want to drink more. So it was mm-hmm. very time consuming. I felt stuck. I felt pretty unhappy. Um, yeah. But I was like, well, as long as I don't have to quit drinking again, I'll just kind of exist in this somewhat happy state. Or I was willing to put up with being right. unhappy with my life if I didn't have to face, you know, giving up my best friend, which was my glass of wine or my beer, right. or, you know. Um, so I assume, I assume at that point you were experiencing some of the relief that you had experienced previously, like um, to manage, you know, difficult feelings, overwhelming feelings. Yeah. And I think at my core with my um, drinking, it was always about changing the way that I felt externally with Mm -hmm. using something from outside, like whether those were intense feelings of happiness, sadness, excitement, you know, anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always from a young age, probably looking to control my inner feelings. Um, feelings felt big and unmanageable to me and it would sometimes be very uncomfortable just to like sit in my own, um, feelings basically. Mm -hmm. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild comes Mysteries About True Histories affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And numbing, just distracting, numbing, um, that type of thing. And so I lived for a few years trying to moderate my drinking, 
not having any major consequences, but knowing that I felt like I was kind of on a hamster wheel, like every day was the same, go to work, come home, drink, pass out, be hung over in the morning, tell myself I shouldn't drink anymore around afternoon time, feel like, well, I could, I could drink tonight and then maybe next week I'll quit. Um, I just have to say, I, I thank you for bringing the kind of, um, the very specific kind of thought process that you went through, because I, I think like for, for people who are listening, these are the ways that they, they'll be able to identify like what's going on for them, because from the outside, people don't know what what's going on internally. And, and I think you're just, you know, you're describing your experience, but it's such um, such a, a great way for other people to be able to identify with like, okay, maybe that's happening for me too. Um, and, and potentially be able to think about their situation. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I never lost a job or a partner my, I'm still married to the same guy. Most people in my life think I'm a pretty normal, nice person. I've had good jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was just this internal thing where I'd wake up in the morning and I just felt full of like shame and disappointment. And just um, sometimes I might maybe would like call somebody at night or say inappropriate things or and it wasn't like every time I drank, it was out of control. It's just when I would start drinking, I never knew how that night would end up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once I ingest alcohol, I have a hard time having an off switch. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, maybe when I'd wake up in the morning and say like, I'm not going to drink anymore. This is no good. And then by the afternoon, I'd start craving a drink. And then I'd tell myself, well, just have like one drink tonight. But I couldn't have one drink. Like I would start drinking and then I wanted more. And that phenomenon of just more, more, more would kick in. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly managing this. Yeah. So it um, kind of takes over your life and kind of crowds out everything else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in the back of my head, I know this was true for me. I always thought, well, once I become a mom, this will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. So I was almost like putting it off until the point where I was a parent because I thought, you know, once I have a baby, I will love that baby so much. It will Mm -hmm. be the center of my universe and I won't want to drink like this or some process I don't have right now will kick in and and save me from myself kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think I, I think that also relates to so many other things that moms uh, that people struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. and, I mean, just what you said right now could go across multiple different kind of struggles, that kind of feeling that motherhood will somehow take care of it. Right. Um, but very specifically for 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 substance use. Yeah. Yeah. So I got pregnant and I did experience that a little bit because Mm. when I got pregnant, um, I did drink while I was pregnant. I drank like on my 30th birthday and a handful of other times, um, which was risky because I knew my history. And so even the fact that I did it is like a huge red flag. Um, Mm. And I didn't drink to excess, but I I knew better. I shouldn't have drank at all, but I did. And so it almost buffered a little bit of my, or upped my confidence a little bit because it was the first time in my life that I was able to moderate my drinking without obsessing. Uh And I had this experience of like, well, yeah, I want another drink, but I can't have one. And I was Mm -hmm. able to somehow not have one. Um, And I, I mean, I know it was because she was inside my body, but um, I'm very lucky that I had some self-control while I was pregnant. Um, But then after she was born, actually, even in the third trimester, I started to get more itchy. Like if I had a glass of wine, I could recognize that I wanted more. And so I stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I was like, no, you're not drinking anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Except the day I went into labor, I was so uncomfortable. And uh, my doctor said, well, bounce on a ball, take a warm bath and have a glass of wine. And you know, there's all those old wives tales about what helps to induce labor. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I did, I went into labor and had her. Um, 
And then I came home from the hospital and I did not think that drinking would be a part of my like postpartum experience. Right. Um, but I struggled with breastfeeding. It was painful. We didn't like get it right away. And I would uh, go on Facebook and, you know, even women in my life would say, well, drink a beer. It helps let your milk down. And mm-hmm. for someone who likes alcohol and doesn't want to feel her feelings, a lot of those messages gave me permission to say to myself, well, alcohol is like a part of postpartum recovery. Yeah. Um, And so I, I started drinking a beer to try to let my milk down. Um, But within a matter of weeks that turned into wanting more Mm -hmm. and buying those little strips to like dip into my breast milk to make sure I hadn't drank too much to feed her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like trying to pump and save stuff for later so that I could you know, drink at night and then give her pumped milk. And then, mm-hmm. and it, it just, what I thought wouldn't happen happened. And that's mm-hmm. my relationship with alcohol followed me right into motherhood. And it became this, um, this thing that I used to cope with a lot of the anxiety. Yeah. Um, but it also then snowballed my anxiety because mm-hmm. I'm a much more anxious person when I'm drinking Uh And it's amazing how less anxious I am when I'm not. Uh Um, So I would have these worries about her going to sleep um, and it would be very unbearable. And I felt like I couldn't sleep. I was having all kinds of sleep problems. So then Mm -hmm. I'd think, well, I need to drink a little bit to help myself sleep. Uh But then I would wake up in the early hours of the morning, like three o'clock. I think probably when the alcohol would wear off and... I wouldn't be able to go back to bed and I would Google like Mm -hmm. things that might be wrong with her or things that might be wrong with me. Um, And for the first time in my life, I wasn't working and the days just stretched on and I had all this time I'd never had before and all these feelings and, you know, drinking just Mm -hmm. became the thing that I did. And, Mm -hmm. um, it created this like wax paper between us. Like I loved her so much and I wanted to be close to her, but I also wanted her to go to sleep so I could Mm -hmm. drink the way I wanted to drink. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it probably dehydrated me and my breastfeeding was off. And I Mm -hmm. was so disappointed in myself for not being able to breastfeed. And, um, gosh, and I'm a therapist. And so I, not only did I have years of training in mental health and, what does it look like when you're having anxiety after you have a baby? I also know a lot about addiction and the fact mm-hmm. that I, my own history with addiction. Right, right. Um, but in the middle of this, I didn't put it together. Like I was not yeah. very self-aware and it really skyrocketed or got really intense when I had to go back to work. Um, so I had, I'd had to, cut back my drinking significantly to go back Mm -hmm. to work and be able to be working, taking care of a baby and drinking. Those three things together became incredibly unmanageable. Right. And I had these fears about my health and I was going to work in the morning and shaking at my computer. Like I was having some physical dependence and withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Um, I was foggy headed. I felt like I was twitchy. And so Mm -hmm. rather than acknowledge my significant drinking problem. Um, I convinced myself that I had like a disease and I thought from my Googling, it was probably multiple sclerosis. Um, and my dad is a physician and I called him one day, like in a panic outside of my house. And I'd left my daughter with a sitter to go to work. And I just said, there's something really, really wrong with me, but I wasn't quite ready to admit that that was drinking. Um, so I had an MRI. At any point in this time, were there thoughts like that would that would pop in for you that like this is related to too much drinking? Was there like some awareness somewhere in the background or was it just not there at all? There was some awareness, especially around the breastfeeding and the drinking and feeling like it was interfering with my breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I would go on kellymom.com or Facebook support groups Mm -hmm. um, and say, you know, is it okay to drink and breastfeed Mm -hmm. or is it, you know, I would put questions into these like social media things and the response I'd get back would be very affirming of my drinking. Oh, interesting. And I'd also just see that it was like, it seemed like a lot of women drank with children. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. 
on social media, there'll be someone drinking out of a wine glass as big as their head in like your mommy group or, oh yeah, right, right. you know, it's just, so I don't feel like I thought it was that abnormal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think I was in a whole lot of denial. I mean, and I I, think I'm thinking just in terms of, you know, when uh, just very specifically for postpartum moms who are dealing with depression or anxiety, there's already this kind of feeling like something's not quite right, but then you're kind of going back and forth with like maybe it's depression or, but you don't want it to be um, that kind of feeling. And then to layer on top of that, like maybe it's alcohol too, but you don't want it to be. I just, uh, I, I'm just imagining kind of like the level of, uh, like uh, on some level, like you were saying, you felt like you might have been in denial, but there is these little things popping in that were kind of clues as to what was really going on um, that you kind of had a double whammy, um, both yeah. dealing with the anxiety and with the alcohol. Yeah, I mean, I think the anxiety was probably primary, mm-hmm. um, just the experience of being a mother and anxiety was part of my history, just the intensity of feeling and not wanting to feel even the good stuff, you know, even good feelings can be overwhelming. Sure. Um, and then the alcohol just, it's like if the house was on fire, drinking was pouring gasoline on top of it to try to solve the problem. So it just exacerbated all the symptoms I was having and, and kind of became the primary problem. So I kind of interrupted you, you were going to, you were talking about the next step in your, in your process of getting an MRI. Yeah. So I, I was just like, oh, I'm ha- I'm shaking at work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm having like some tingling sensations. My brain felt fuzzy. I was sleep deprived. And when I'm anxious, it turns into this like fear about my health. It's a thing that's happened to me before. And so that became, I was like, well, I must have a problem and I need to go to a doctor and try to get that problem figured out. Um, and so I went to a neurologist, they did an MRI, there was nothing wrong with me. You know, I went to my general doctor, I went to my OB. Um, and it was around that time, I kept a journal that I started writing, I think I need to stop drinking again. Mm. And putting that together after some of those fears about my health were kind of addressed. Um, the amazing thing is that never in the course of any of that stuff, did anyone ever ask me if I was drinking or using drugs. And drugs are not a part of my story, but having worked in women's health, I know sometimes people will say like, are you drinking or using drugs kind of very briefly? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure we, I think we look at certain people and say, well, she probably doesn't have a drinking problem, so we won't go there. Or maybe it's uncomfortable or, um, and that's been my experience going to doctors now. I tell my physician I'm a person who gets addicted to stuff. So don't give me stuff, you know, Yeah, <laughs> heads right. up. Right. Because right. I, I need people to know. Um, and they're not really asking, just in general, people aren't asking. No, no. So I after going through all this testing and, um, you know, my daughter was about six months old and I just had, thank God, a just moment of clarity where I was like, I have to, I have to stop drinking. And I'd been in a program before um, that had really helped me. I think it saved my life. And um, I went back there and I never have had a drink since. And that was over six years ago. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. And I came came home that day Mm -hmm. and sat down with my chunky little six-month-old and just wept and was like, I wanted you. I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've waited for you my whole life. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. You know, I want you to know me mm-hmm. and this isn't me and kind of made a commitment to her and to myself to um, to learn how to feel my feelings and be present in my own life. And I'm so glad that I did. And uh, yeah. yeah, and it's it's so ironic, but that felt like a very difficult time of my life that was so hard. Um, But it really was this soil for just an amazing life that I live today. It, it just forced me to kind of wake up and Mm -hmm. to learn how to feel things and to be present. And I mean, I feel like I have today a very beautiful life free from any substances. Mm -hmm. Um, that sometimes I even feel grateful that I 
am an alcoholic because it's really forced me to just be here now. You know, I'm, right. I'm here, I'm with my kids. Yeah. I went on to have more children and my experiences postpartum with them were so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have twins and people are always like, oh, you have twins. You need to go home and have a drink. Like people will joke with you oh, and you have yeah. twins that you need to drink. Um, and I always want to tell them like, it's so much easier to have twins not drinking than it was to have yeah. one baby and trying to manage my alcoholism. Right. So, you know, but an, a normal yeah. drinker wouldn't understand that. But mm-hmm. um but I think just in the arc of your story and, and how you've expressed it uh, for us is, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, there's so, there's so many things to kind of understand here. Um, just in, for, for people who are listening and for people who are experiencing this is that um, it's, it's, I mean, you were in pain, you were trying to cope with pain, emotional pain, um, mm-hmm. mental pain. Um, however, whatever other kind of pain, breastfeeding pain. I mean, there's also so many kinds, even though the drinking got in the way for you. And in a lot of ways, you were still trying your hardest to be there for her and to, to do your mothering tasks and and whatever else is in there. Um, And there are barriers and difficulties for you that nobody really addressed. And like you were saying, you're a therapist and you have a set of skills and most most people who are not therapists don't have that set of skills to, mm-hmm. you know, to to um, well, for, for many different things. It's a unique skill set. Um, it just makes me think of all of the other moms who are suffering um, and who who are getting in these barriers or that people aren't asking them what's you know, about their substance use and they're not getting the help that they need. And gosh, we're really missing the mark here in terms of right. helping so many people. What I mean, what have you seen for other moms? Well, I think, um, so like the, the normal limits of drinking for women are no more than three drinks on a, any day and no more than seven in a week. And if you're a normal drinker, that's probably doable. So having a glass of wine a couple times a week or on New Year's Eve, having three glasses of wine. But once moms start drinking regularly, there's this thing that happens in women, it's called telescoping. And it just means that men and women respond very differently to alcohol. And that from the time women start drinking regularly, um, to the time that they need treatment is about half the time that that would be for men. Hmm. And that for women who have underlying anxiety, it happens even faster. Wow. And so if moms are having anxiety in the postpartum period, even if they have no history of alcohol like I did, of alcoholism like I did, if they start thinking, well, a glass of wine helps me relax. It helps me get through the bath time routine. It helps me um, sleep at night and then they start drinking every single day. And then it's two glasses of wine a day. And, you know, I think we forget that alcohol is a drug and it's a very powerful drug. And it's women like me, uh, white college educated middle to upper class women who are engaging in the most risky drinking behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's leading to, you know, problems with our, for our own health and just for our health as mothers as too. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think women being aware of what, what is normal drinking and being aware of this phenomenon of telescoping and that if doctors and therapists and we're doing a little bit more talking to women about like, well, not just are you worried about your drinking, but like, okay, well, how many drinks a week are you having and examining mm-hmm. is that normal? Because from the, um, so like for my podcast, I interviewed this woman who wrote a book called Drink, The Intimate Relationship Between Women and Alcohol, named Ann mm-hmm. Dossett Johnston. And it's a fabulous book. And it really talks about the evolution of marketing and um, drinking with women that's going on right now. And just mm-hmm. that all the messages we get are that you you need alcohol to get through this thing called motherhood. And wow, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, you're right. I see it everywhere. So if, 
that's the message you get. And you're someone like me who has a a track record of that. Um, But even if you're not and you start thinking like, well, everyone in my Facebook feed seems to drink to cope with parenting. And then you start doing it. It's just, it's hard because once it gets you, um, then it doesn't feel like a choice anymore. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. wake up and choose to drink every day with a newborn. Quite the opposite. I felt like I woke up every day and chose not to drink and then I'd be drinking anyway. And Mm -hmm. part of my story is I would black out with a newborn. Luckily, my husband was around, but I did have at the end before I quit, I had mornings when I would wake up and be like, who put her in bed? Did she have things in her crib with her? Did I Mm -hmm. change her diaper before she went to bed? Um, Mm -hmm. And as I've talked to women about this, that's not an abnormal experience for moms who drink to be in charge of caring for their children and to pass out and have no recollection Mm -hmm. of the evenings. And um, when you talk to moms, nobody's asking them about that. No one's talking to them in the course of their healthcare um, to check up on that. And I think the, the stigma, like Anne talks Mm -hmm. about in her book, she went out and asked all these moms, would you rather tell someone that you had postpartum depression or tell them that you, you were an active alcoholic and they, nobody said they would disclose that they were drinking with their children because the stigma around addiction and motherhood is, horrible because people think you're choosing it. Like, well, if you just loved your child more, you just stop doing that. But the thing about Uh, the disease of addiction is once you're at a certain place, you don't feel like you have a choice anymore. It's like this train, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Jovita Bydlowska writes a book called Drunk Mom, which is great. And she talks about her addiction postpartum being like a train. And sometimes the train is just moving so fast, the train of addiction, that you're just hoping it'll like slow down enough so that you can get off, but that some people never get that chance. And um, I think we always think, oh, you have to like lose your house or lose your car or hurt your kid, or you have to hit a terrible bottom before you you can get sober. And Mm -hmm. The truth is we just need a moment of clarity where we see clearly, like I feel so lucky to have had, that this is mm-hmm. going to this is going to do irreparable damage to me as a human being and to my relationship with my child if I don't stop. And right. so I had that moment and I feel so fortunate that I had had something in the past that worked for me and I knew how to go right there and get mm-hmm. help. And I used like a 12-step program. And that's not for everybody, but I think because I'd gotten sober before my, in the postpartum period, my recovery like happened a lot quicker. Um, Right. Because after I had my baby and I couldn't control my drinking, for me, it was like, oh, I know for sure I'm I'm an alcoholic. Whereas Mm. I used to think once I'm a mom, I won't be. But it was like, nope, it's, this is who I am and- no amount of understanding myself um, will help me. So some really clear, I mean, just in terms of what you've been describing, there's some really clear things that we all need to be doing better, which is, uh, you know, reaching, uh, specifically I'm talking about healthcare providers or support, um, healthcare support folks is really asking more specific questions about a mom um, and their drinking habits, not just are you drinking, but kind of how much, how often, um, and and also in really non-judgy ways. Right. Um, and ways that, like, I'm assuming if you had somebody who asked you in a really compassionate way, like, hey, do you feel like you're struggling? And, um, you know, how much are you drinking? As opposed to like, oh, well, are you drinking? And, you know, automatically anyone's going to, I assume, shut down um, mm-hmm. and become defensive. Um, what what are the things that we need to be doing better other than asking, you know, the, that question specifically? Yeah. I mean, I think acknowledging how difficult it is to be a mother, you know, acknowledging that it's overwhelming and it can be stressful and it can feel like you need to really tapping into do women feel like they need to escape or numb mm-hmm. out or distract Um, so, cause I think that's a big part of what drives it. And then just talking to them about when you feel that way, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And well, I like my wine, you know, and, or whatever that might be, but then 
helping women to understand um, that alcohol is a drug and it's a depressant and it increases mm-hmm. anxiety. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, non-judgmentally helping them figure out if that is adding value to their lives and um, catching them before it's, you know, they're like me. Um, so maybe if they're just like, yeah, in the last couple months, I've noticed that I'm drinking every day now or that my one glass of wine has turned into two. Or mm-hmm. when I go out on the weekends, I binge drink. Um, when it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So just non-judgmentally from a harm reduction standpoint, providing education and trying to help them make mindful choices about their drinking Um, and then once they feel like that drinking, they can't choose anymore, they've crossed the line, helping them figure out how to get treatment and support and, you know, bringing family on board to see what do they need to be supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just being understanding and, and also making sure that their kids are okay. So if, if they have a partner, you know, making sure that that partner is making plans for the kids at night. Let's say if the Mm -hmm. mom isn't aware of what's going on, Mm -hmm. because there are safety issues too. Just in in terms of, I'm thinking on two kind of two different tracks here. If if there are healthcare providers listening and they're kind of wondering what they need to do, I think you've given some beautiful steps for them to consider and to follow. And for a mom who's, you know, maybe listening and realizing that either she or somebody she cares about maybe is struggling, um, where would they start to look for help? Yeah. And and I think you can go to local therapists and go to your physician and um, just say, this is what's going on with my drinking or drug use. And and I'm worried about it. it. And it could even be even before mom delivers knowing her history and looking at what kind of pain medication will she get for her C-section and how mm-hmm. many, you know, cause women do need pain medication, but, um, addictions can start there. I mean, it's, right. it's, uh, so f- I guess for a mom who's wondering for herself, mm-hmm. um, there are some really great, like I have a podcast called mother recovering. Um, there's a podcast called the bubble hour, um, there are some Facebook groups for people who are questioning their um, their 
relationship with alcohol. There are great like mm-hmm. memoirs like Drunk Mom or um, uh, there's one, oh, I'm blanking on the name, Drink, A Love Affair. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, there are really good books and they call it quit lit, like quitting literature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. yeah. So I think for lots of women, it's starting to check out like, cause it's a, it's a, I've been there before. It's a terrifying place to be when mm. you can no longer imagine your life with the substance that you use or with alcohol, mm-hmm. but you cannot imagine what it looks like without it either. Because for right. many of us, that substance or alcohol is our best friend. Like it's there for us all the time. It's the thing, right. it becomes a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about moving forward without it feels undoable. Yeah. But the the irony is, or the wonderful part is that once you get past um, the quitting part and into the living part, it's like mm-hmm. my life is so amazingly beautiful compared to what it was when I drank. Right. It's like you just got to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's such a hopeful um, thought and hopeful message um, that I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of moms who have found their way to recovery and, and healing feel the same. Yeah. And another great resource is She Recovers, um, which is a community of women all recovering from different things. It could be disordered mm-hmm. eating. It could be drugs and alcohol. It could be codependency. Mm-hmm. But the movement to like be present in life and mm-hmm. not run away from your feelings and not... Um, is is growing and it's uh yeah it's a really awesome way to live um and what yeah. i just find amazing is that when i'm not drinking my anxiety and depression like you couldn't diagnose me with those things mm-hmm. but when i am i'd probably meet clinical definition for both conditions right and and so and you mentioned your podcast and I want to make sure that people I'm going to have all the links to your information and your podcast up in our show notes so that people can find them. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about what your podcast focuses on and what you do there? Yeah, so it's mother recovering. And actually, you are in many ways the inspiration for it because I listen mm-hmm. to mom and mind and, you know, talking about women's mental health and um and I heard my story and some of the anxiety pieces of it, but I I was craving stories of moms who struggled with addiction postpartum. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I went out searching for podcasts and resources specifically for moms like me. Um, yeah. And I couldn't really find anything. And you were nice enough to, I called you up and out of the blue, and you were nice enough to give me some information about starting a podcast. And so I impulsively mm-hmm. did that. Um, <laughs> and kind of I'm modeling so glad you did. Yeah. Well, and kind of modeling after you, which is talking to real moms about their experiences and trying to get authors and experts um, yeah. on to just talk about it really with the goal of smashing the stigma. Because yes. if we don't feel I, I shouldn't have to feel ashamed of um I believe it's a disease. Everyone has their own interpretation and I don't on the podcast. It's not like this is the way you have to feel about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it was, it was to a place where clearly I would not choose these things. It it felt very much like it was happening to me. And Mm -hmm. a part of what kept me sick was not wanting to acknowledge that I was having that problem um, because there's so much stigma around it. And so part of my, at first I never, I didn't tell people And at work, I didn't, like, I would not have told anyone I was an alcoholic or, um, but I think part of my recovery too has been, like, I want to talk about it because it's really the best part of my life. I mean, every good thing and interaction and accomplishment and everything I have now, I feel like is on this foundation of good recovery from alcohol, which for me includes emotional recovery. Um, Yeah. It's a huge part of it, just sitting with my feelings and- Mm -hmm. If I feel like at the end of the day, I need to run away from my house, I need mm-hmm. to figure out like what's going on there and yeah. what do I need to make more um, balanced or mm-hmm. maybe I'm pushing myself too hard. Maybe my expectations right. of myself are super high or of my kids. 
you know, so it's been a lot about figuring out how how to regulate my own emotions um, while I'm in charge of helping all these little people (laughs) regulate their emotions. I mean, it's very, it can be very overwhelming. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the podcast Um, is is a lot mm -hmm. about that, like talking to moms about being sober and, Mm -hmm. and no person I've ever talked to regrets getting sober. Right. Most people just regret, which I am very forgiving of myself. I'm like, I can't change what happened. I can only move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But most people just wish, oh, I would have done that sooner. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm so grateful to you for for sharing your story and um, for being a light for other moms who are suffering and, and starting your podcast. I mean, this is just so, so, so necessary and essential. And um I, I just love that, you know, you went looking for the resource. It wasn't there. So you made one. <laughs> that's yeah. just, that's how we lift each other up. And, and you're, you're doing beautiful work to do that for so many moms are going to be supported by your work. Thank well, you thank for, you, for doing it. Thank yeah. You. Thank you for letting me share. Absolutely. So I'm going to, um, point everybody in the direction of your podcast and your website so that everyone can check that out and, and hopefully give it to somebody who may be able to benefit from it. Um, thank you so much again, Annika, for sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. I, I've loved talking to you. Thank you again, Annika. Please, everyone who's listening, share this episode with someone else who could benefit from this. It could be a friend, a healthcare provider, anybody who you think might find this resource helpful. I think it's so important that we're having a deeper conversation about these issues, really asking moms how they're really, really doing, um, how they're coping with the transition to motherhood. It can be really hard for somebody to come out and say how much they're really suffering. But if they know that there's somebody who's compassionate and understanding and willing to be supportive, they're more likely to be able to themselves realize what's going on and more likely to reach out for the help that they need. So let's get the help to the people who really need it. Here are some links to Annika's podcast and social media. The podcast is at motherrecovering.com. You can also connect with her on Twitter at Momming Sober and on Facebook at Mother Recovering. Her private practice website is qcwomenstherapy.com. For all episodes of Mom and Mind, go to www.momandmind.com. Thanks for listening. Best to you all. And until next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Also, please subscribe and share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for being a part of the Mom and Mind community. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.